0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired retired out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad as a sergeant. I wasn't retarded. I retired. And we, we have an unbelievable show for you tonight. I know I always say that, but tonight I really mean it. And to my right, in the box immediately to my right, is straight out of Brooklyn, my co-host tonight, retired NYPD, what was it, 6-0? Oh, no, you want six, six, 6-8 squad, right? No, 6-0 oh. squad. I was in six the 6-0 s- squad. 6-0 squad in the intelligence Island, division. List oh, up, my God. On. Straight out of Brooklyn.
1: Phil Grimaldi. How you doing, Excellent. Phil? Pretty good. Very excited about tonight. I know uh, Joe will be joining us uh, shortly, hopefully, and we got Tommy Dades, the man. I can't oh, wait to
2: get to him. Joe he got there. here right now.
1: <laughs> you know.
0: Guys, below us, in the box below us, is retired first-grade detective Tommy Dades, 6-0 squad, uh, another one of Brooklyn's own, and an organized crime expert. In fact, when he retired from the NYPD, he worked for years for the Brooklyn DA's office, and he was able to put away the two gentlemen known as the mafia cops, uh, Louis Ippolito and Stephen Caracappa. And that investigation was nothing easy, but Tommy Dade stayed with it for years, and he was able to put these two individuals away. And we're supposed to have Joe Pistone tonight, a.k.a. Donnie Brasco, but he's fashionably late. Oh, here he is. I think he's showing up right now. There he he's is. Still on the- <laughs> there he is. Drum roll. There he is.
3: There he is. Joey, Joe, Joey, you
0: in the, are you in the dark on purpose? You trying to still stay undercover no. or what?
3: No, no, not on purpose. Just dark out. Dark What's hour. up, Joe?
2: Joey, up? how
3: are you? How you guys been? Good, pal. Pretty good,
2: pretty long good, time man. no see, no hear. Marty, I said, long time no see, no hear.
3: Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it, Tommy? Yes, it has, sir. Oh,
0: how do you, you do. <laughs> you have a lighting technician's going to light you up a little bit better than that, Joe, because we we can't see you. Hold on. Boy, he's really undercover, huh? Oh, my (laughs) God. And he's got sunglasses on. He must not be able to see anything, you know?
3: Uh, I can see.
1: You you know what I think the light is facing the other way.
2: You know watching Tonight, Joe, I spoke to uh, today, uh, who I speak to all the time, and, of course, they speak the world to you, Maddie Echikoriko and Frank Spiro.
3: Oh, good guys, aren't they? Yeah, the best, the best. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: Joe, now that you're in the light a little bit, I'm I'm going to actually uh, introduce you. Is that okay?
3: Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> Folks, with us tonight is retired FBI agent, extraordinaire, under best undercover in the history of the FBI, Joe Pistone, AKA Donnie Brasco. And you know something, Joe? I have a little bone to pick with you what? because you sent me this book and you signed it Donnie Brasco. What, are you trying to be undercover with me? I wasn't supposed to know who you are. I'll show you. I'll, I'll show you right there. You see? It's signed Donnie Brasco. I'm like, did he did he, did he he forget who he was?
1: <laughs> the shoe fits. Wear it, you know? You know what's funny? When we did the promo yesterday, I initially I called him Joe Pistone, but then I referred to him two times as Donnie Brasco. I said, geez, I hope he's not going to get mad at me. But yeah, I get
0: I... Uh, he signed the book, so he signed the book, Donnie Brasco. I was a little confused. I thought I met him, you know? I met him with his friend Bob Stockman. I thought he was Joe Pistone. Anyway, guys, let's get down to business. You know, everyone wants yeah, to hear. Definitely. They want to hear about wise guy shit. You know, they want to hear about mob stuff. And we have two of the best, you know, mob cops that I know of, you know? And uh, folks, for you out there that live in a bubble, don't know who Joe Pistone is. He went undercover for six years and infiltrated the mafia. He was one month away from getting straightened out. And that's mob lingo for being made. They were about to make him a made guy. And uh, the FBI got a little nervous. A lot of shit was going down, and they pulled him out for his own safety. You want to comment on that, Joe?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, what happened was is that uh, – I have been proposed for membership into the Bonanno family by Sonny Black Naplatano, who was my captain at the time. And uh there was a beef in the in, in the family about uh, who was gonna run the family. And at the time uh the boss was in the can, Rusty Rustelli. And uh, there was a there were three capos that uh, didn't uh didn't go along with that, uh, so they they you know they, they weren't were uh, fans and they wanted to, they wanted to take over the family, but uh, uh, Sonny Black's crew and well you know the guys that he had with him and n- another guy was uh, Joey Messina was another uh, another top capo, they were actually. the the street bosses, because, like I said, the boss, Russ Rostelli, was in the can. So they uh, <clears throat> they called the, uh, for a sit-down, and uh, when the other three guys showed up at the sit-down, they whacked them. Uh, one guy was supposed to show up. He didn't show, and I got the contract to kill him. So, uh, you know, now it was like it was a war now it was a shooting war is the first time and uh the uh i guess the the bureau you know didn't want to get involved in in the shooting war and i had a contract to kill uh kill a guy and um but we had so much going on we were you know we 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 had we had a marriage going on with uh with Santo Traficani, the boss of Florida. Uh so they wanted to pull the operation right then and that was May fifth. Uh and we had another sit down with Traficani coming up. Uh so I convinced them, hey, let's let's go till you know and and until we get this other sit down with him and well, to make a long story short i convinced them to, to let, let the operation go till uh, it was august and then uh, they you know they said no it's too dangerous now because uh, you, you're getting you're getting contracts to kill people and we're starting to know who's going to get whacked and we can't let people get whacked uh with our knowledge so they they close the operation down so i and you know I, I normally don't care when an operation ever got shut down. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't uh, the guy that always you know wanted to continue any undercover operation. Hey, if it's time, it's time. But on that one, I said, "Hey, look, you know, let me get made. Let's shut it down after I get made." Because can you imagine the embarrassment uh, when they find out that
2: uh, the amazing
3: they inducted a, you know, an undercover operation, you know, made an under, but they said no. So we, we, uh, we shut it down.
1: I mean, it's just outstanding that they even proposed you, Joe. You, I know you're a modest guy, but you're referred to in, you know, like I did a little research. They, they call you the pioneer of undercover work. I mean, you know, we can't say it enough. Six years undercover, barely seeing your family, Joe, that's, you pulled off one of the most fantastic undercover operations. And the fact that you would just propose, think about it. Organized crime was going to make you had the operation continued. That is just unbelievable.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of it, 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 it has to do with, with, uh, how well you plan your operation and, and, uh, you know, I mean, you guys are coppers, you know, you know, it. the, uh, how well you choose your undercover, you know. Uh, look, everybody can't work undercover. It's not any so. If you you can, you can't. But uh, uh, it it uh, it almost worked. I mean, yeah, it, it was successful. Look, you know, we we punctured uh, all the families in the city, families you know outside of uh, New York. Uh, got great intel on, 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 on how the mafia operates, uh, and put a lot of people in jail. So I guess that's you know, that's what it's all about.
2: Working around Nickabaca Village a lot back then.
3: Yeah, yeah. You know, the guys. A lot of the guys lived in Nickabaca Village.
2: Lefty lived on Monroe Street in an apartment <laughs> building,
3: right? Yeah, yeah. Him, Tony Mira. Yeah, Tony Mira. Um, <coughs>
0: Oh, Joe, you know what I wanted to ask you? Since the last time you were on, you've been on twice before, once by yourself and once with uh, your buddy Bob Starkman. And I wanted to ask you, I, I, re- I read your, the whole book the last time, and I had read it once before, but years ago. But yeah. I just read it through in anticipation of you coming on again. And I wanted to say to you, every time you got in a fight, you knocked the guy out. Is that true? Or you may? you, know, you were like a, a prize fighter or something? And, you know, one time you were with this other FBI agent, Um, You see, I'm talking with a Brooklyn accent now, and I'm not from Brooklyn. One time you were with this FBI agent who was a tight end from Boston College, and you fought three wise guys, and you knocked all three of them out. I was like, is this bullshit, or is he really this tough of a guy?
3: Well, knocked down, you know, knocked down. You know, (laughs) you left
1: out, Billy, that the agent that he was with was 6'4 and he was a football player or
3: something. That's right. He
0: was, hey, New York City cops and kids boxing. Thank you so much for the $49.99. I guess that's for Tommy Days, but thank you so much. We appreciate it. Yeah, Patty Russo.
3: Tommy's actually the fighter. (laughs) Yeah. No, because I was right. going to
0: say, I think you had five fights over the course of the book, and every guy like you, were, why are you a victorious? I was like, you never well, got I your say, ass
3: kicked. They knocked out. You know, you got the better of him. You won the fight. That's okay.
0: So you never got your ass kicked while you were uh, waiting to get straightened out.
3: I got slapped around a few times. Yeah, sure. Oh, yes. yeah. Okay. But they were, by, they were, but you know, look. <clears throat> You, you you can't you can't put your hands on a wise guy. I knew you were gonna say that. I knew that's why you got slapped in the back. <laughs> you know?
1: I knew it too.
3: Uh, so you know, if a if a wise guy gave me a slap, you know, your your only retort is vocally, you know, verbally, you know. But if it wasn't a wise guy, then
2: <laughs> then Al Pacino play lefty almost to the T.
3: Who's that, Pacino? Didn't he play him almost to the tape except his dress you know lefty dressed uh, better yeah lefty dressed yeah yeah he was uh he never wore a hat you know but you know that's that's the movie business you 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 know that Tommy character if development you notice if you notice the progression during the course of the movie how all you know as the movie progressed his dress got got neater and and you know nattier, uh, but you know it's Hollywood.
1: I remember in those days, wise guys. I came from Gravesend, Avenue U, and uh, I was uh, growing up in the '60s and '70s. All the wise guys when they came on Avenue U at you know, lunchtime, they would be around from lunchtime on. They always had fancy cars, always very clean, and they always wore dress clothes and dress shirts and the jewelry. And, you know, they would never be seen with sneakers or sweatpants no. or anything back in those days. I mean, I'm talking about made guys, high-level guys, you know.
3: Yeah, in fact, you know, once, once, uh, <clears throat> I think I may have told you guys before, but once uh, when I got really accepted, you know, and, and was and uh, was able to hang out in in the clubs and stuff that's the first thing they told me is you know they laid down the rules and one of them was dress you know how how you dress you got to dress nice all the time you got to dress neat uh yeah, because
0: Joe, when uh, you were an FBI agent, you had that little porn well, star, a porn mustache. star mustache, right?
3: Well, mustache. <laughs> I had a thick mustache, actually. You had right. to get rid
0: of that mustache, right?
3: Yeah, they told me to shave your mustache because, you know, we don't want any facial hair, and uh, so you know they got their they got their own rules. Uh, you know, you, you guys, uh, you know, you work them, you know it. They, you know, uh,
1: it's not like that today anymore. It's really, uh, they softened up a lot on all things like that. Right, well, Tom? Wouldn't you say that?
3: You know, I don't know that they, what do you think, Tommy? I don't think they softened up. But I, 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 it's I think the caliber you
2: know. of guys
3: they got today
2: is nothing like the caliber of guys. You know what it is? It's, it's everything. It's not just wise guys. And I think I said this on the last show. It's ball players, it's cab drivers, it's everybody. The generation is what softened up. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're just, you know, into the into the me generation, the I generation, and you know, the, don't listen to authority. I, I I bet you half of these guys they couldn't find Italy on a map. Yeah, <laughs>
0: right? you, you know, you know, Joe. I want to ask you a question that I asked you the last time, but I think it's so important for people that are, li- are listening. And we were all all three of us, myself, Tommy, and Phil Grimaldi. We all have certain attributes that people can spot and say, "Oh, that guy's a cop." You know what I mean? The way we stand, the way we move. How did you get rid of your copisms so well that you could be undercover and they couldn't say, "Wait, this guy's law enforcement"?
3: Well, you know, I, I don't know. I think I, I, I think a lot of it had to do with uh, um, growing up. <laughs> you know. I mean, you grow up in that environment. I mean, I grew up in that environment. As you know, that, that's I know Tommy did too. You grow up around these guys. I grew up around wise guys, uh, uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't acquiring the, the going the other way. I wasn't acquiring street sense because I had it, you know. Right. I mean, I grew up around these guys. I grew up, uh, going, you know, going into social clubs in the neighborhood, you know, as a kid, you know. Uh, yeah.
1: There's a lot of parallels between law enforcement cops and wise guys. And I swear, Bill, what you said that uh, people would always peg me. They'd say, yeah, oh, you're either a cop or a wise guy because of my Brooklynese, <laughs> yeah. I guess. And And Joe, with the mustache getting shaved off. That was in the mob. They made you shave your mustache. I had Tommy smiling. That's he knows. He knows
2: the because, story. I but, tell. Yeah, but that's also because most cops had mustaches, so that's okay. why. Okay. Before, before the, the the beginning of organized crime, like with Lucky Luciano, they called them old mustache peeps. They right. did have mustaches, but cops, yeah. mostly agents, had mustaches. So that's why they didn't want no mustaches on. That's where it really comes from.
1: Well, the mob made Joe get a uh, shave off his mustache, and I had an inspector that made me get two haircuts in one week. Tommy knows that <laughs> story, and I don't even want to say his name because he was a punk. <laughs> so, there's parallels here, boys. There's parallels. You know, well, a
2: funny story. Um, we uh, uh, God rest his soul. He was a decent guy. I mean, whatever anyone wants to think, he was. He he was a gentleman. He knew the rules. Wild Bill Catulo. So we got him sitting at my desk. Meatball pinch, and uh, we're bullshitting back and forth. We're eating lunch. His lawyers there, and you know the old squads there, and a couple of his guys got collared too. Uh, and it's uh, and our captain at the time, and the CEO of the six A precinct, was uh, Petrolongo, and he walks upstairs. He just gets word. He's in, in our in our uh, in the police department. If you're going to get bumped up in grade or promoted to a captain, whatever. The, the, the way you say it is, I'm getting made tomorrow. So he was <laughs> walking up the stairs while Billy's sitting there. And he says, I'm, I, I'm getting made tomorrow. And Billy started to laugh so hard. The whole yeah. squad started to laugh. I said, Steve, go. <laughs> we get straightened out, too. <laughs> that's a good story. That's a good, good didn't know who was sitting there, you know. Oh, he didn't know who was there. Yeah, that's uh, good. Folks,
0: that's good. Folks, uh, the book is uh, Donnie Brasco. My Undercover Life in the Mafia by Joe Pistone. Sometimes he gets confused and he signs it, Donnie Brasco. <laughs> but it, that's Joe's book. It's a fantastic book. And this was the book that uh, the movie was based on. But let me tell you something. The book is 10 times better than the movie. Uh, so
2: yeah, much. Job, Joe. Great job.
0: So much of the uh, movie. I mean, so much of the book is not in the movie. And the book is, is really fantastic. I loved when you uh, started out. You know, doing truck hijackings and stuff because uh, you had experience operating heavy equipment, and, and and you were also in the army,
3: right? No, I uh, there was in naval intelligence. Naval so intelligence, I, I right? Drove, uh, I, I drove an eighteen wheeler when I was in college, uh, and you know, when I was on the truck squad, when we whenever we we uh, would recover a load, you know, uh, you got to get it back to you know. To our drive, oh. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, you know, I was a designated uh, driver. and uh, But, uh, yeah, it helped a lot, you know, uh, being able to, to drive a- an 18-wheeler around the city, you know.
0: You know, the NYPD used to have a unit called the Safe Loft and Truck Squad.
3: Oh right. And, right.
0: and that, w- that went out with uh, Teddy Roosevelt, I think. But it, there was – they it did have a r- –
3: when I first started in New York, they still they still had that squad.
0: Was Teddy Roosevelt the commissioner then?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I it know. was around in our
0: time uh, too, right, Tommy? It was around. Yeah, it, was. it was. Just yeah, it
2: was around. It was around. Just yeah. as we
0: came on a job, but they got they got <laughs> rid of it. Maybe in <laughs> they, in,
1: they called it back. something else. They they wound up calling it something else. Yeah, they I think it, it was,
2: was on a safe off <laughs> the truck squad.
1: What's that? Say it again?
2: Chief Ali was on that squad for a little while. Yeah,
1: Buddy Manane took it over at the end when it when it was safe, loft, and truck. And then it went to uh, Buddy Manane. May he rest in peace. Great guy. Right. Uh, then then uh, uh, they called it something else. I forgot what they called it. And if there was a burglary with a, a safe and it was a certain amount taken, they would give it to safe, loft, and truck and stuff like that. Art would go to them. Art, Art uh, Heist yeah. and different things like that. And then obviously the trucks. You know, if truck hijackings would we'll go to them. But uh, then I think they got sucked into the major K squad. That's what I think. It
3: was. Yeah, I, I think that's what it got incorporated. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But you know, back and, in the day, they 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 were uh, they were taking truck, you know, taking loads like crazy. I mean, we were losing like four or five loads a day, and I mean, you know, they were high value loads, uh, really getting whacked, and it, it was all you know, all mafia controlled.
1: Well, Goodfellas told you about JFK. They were robbing that place
3: blind for years. Oh, they owned that place, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs>
0: you know, Joe, I think it also has to do with um, what cities are willing to put up with. You see in L.A. now, they're letting groups of kids go into stores and just <clears throat> fleece the shit out of these high-end stores, and nothing's being done about it. Back you know, then go- – go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry.
3: <clears throat> no, I was going to say that. I think that's a disgrace where – the, the prosecutor puts an arbitrary value, you know, anything over anything under $950, we're not going to prosecute. What about the poor store owner? Yeah, yeah that's, no, that's a total
1: disgrace what's going on. They, they actually tell the security guards, I saw a video of it. A guy was filling up a bit, ba- came in on a yeah. bicycle in like a Walgreens, filling up a bag, security yeah. uh, security guard and the manager uh, standing back, the guy drives out on the bike. The security guard tries to grab him. He hits the security guard. He takes off, and not even called nothing. You know, it probably yeah. took thousands of dollars worth of shit. But uh, just I mean, just it, goes it,
2: it rumors, Joe, that the Justice Department is following, like uh, you know, local city, state cops, that they're going to start having to wear recording devices during interviews.
3: Yeah, that just that that just came down from uh, from this administration. Yeah, I mean, you bring
2: somebody now into a squad room in, in a precinct. I mean, I haven't seen it, this is what I've been told. And you, you try to debrief somebody, whether you're trying to flip them or get information or whatever you're trying to do, and there's three cameras in there. So, who, even if the guy's going to decide to do the right thing, who's going to who's going let you film him doing it? You know what I mean? doesn't even yeah. make
0: you know Tommy, you know what else is different? Uh, now when someone is under arrest and you bring him in the interrogation room, you have to read the Miranda immediately. You can't schmooze them. Remember how you used to be able to schmooze
2: oh, well, them? You start talking a little yeah, bit
0: get a yeah, get them to, yeah, you know, I and soften them up.
3: him.
2: He's like, "Yeah, I'll sign."
3: Yeah. <clears throat> I understand that uh, they're going to they're going to start uh wearing uh, cameras on uh on raids and search warrants too, you know.
1: I'm sure. I'm right. sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Tommy, you brought up the squad room. I was in the six O squad about a year and a half ago. It was the last time I was there, and uh, they actually have. In the squad room, they got one camera facing one way, one camera facing the other way, so they get both views. And then they got a backup camera, and the third camera isn't even in the room. It's secreted outside the room. So they really, uh, you know, like you said. What if, if you're I'm about to screw up, uh, organized crime murders? I ain't doing it on three cameras. What
2: if you're bringing in a guy that's already working for you, but you got to bring him in anyway, and you're in the room with him? How do you, you know, usually you bring him in alone with your partner—the only two guys who knows that he's working with you. Sure. How, how do you talk to him? Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like you're between a rock and a hard place. It, it's it's like the lack of trust of law enforcement officers is just out the window, oh. and it's definitely hurt in investigative techniques. It's that it's, it's it really went, you know, like there's got to be checks and balances, which there always were. But it's out of control. It's it's really out of control. Mom, you
1: make such a good point because if you bring your guy in who's working with you and there's another guy, usually the interview room and the cell are, are like right next to one another. Yeah. You can't. What are you gonna do? Take them to the bathroom and talk it, to them? You know?
2: We've had to put handcuffs on that you know sure. we have to lock up to make it look good. Right. You worry about it, you know, down the road in the DA's office. You're not gonna let them out of the precinct. But when you get them in the room, you know you you talk and whispering whatever you can't. How are you going to do that now? You can't. Makes now, the job a lot harder. Do they,
3: do they do they run once you go in the room or do, you, or do you yeah have to turn?
2: yeah they run they're running so and it's a rule that they got to turn them on. There might be a way to turn them off. I don't know. I did. Yes, I turn them off, and then you get something, and someone says, "Well, why are not it on?" Tape? Yeah, then then you're uh,
1: facing charges. Play. You're right. You're well, right. you know,
0: I'm it's even charge. the same thing as as the body worn video. I mean, there's got to be entire procedures of when you have to turn that on, because they also know that you know, honest citizens that talking shit, you could take you could tape that, and they may look pretty bad. Which I've heard that's happened too. But yeah. that's not what they you know, that's not what it's intended for, you know.
3: Well it's the same thing when you're wired, right? I mean once you turn out that wire on, you can't turn it off until until you're finished, you know, until the subject like
2: was on a wiretap.
3: You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's
2: certain rules you gotta follow, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I really don't know what's happening. It's mm-hmm. not a good
3: thing, that's for sure.
1: Making it uh, much more harder on law enforcement.
3: Well, today, I mean, uh, well, in New York, anyway, you, you arrest them. And no matter what you arrest them for, they get out, right? They don't have to yeah, put up The bail, ba- the bail
1: reform is letting, you know, back. I mean, unless it's like a murder, uh, you know, the guy murdered some innocent senior citizen or something like that. It, it's, it's right out. I mean, de Blasio just came out with a thing where they're going to pay guys who've committed gun crimes, you know, fired shots or shot people. They're going to pay them a thousand dollars a month to not get involved not, in the shooting. It's as crazy crime. as that counts. That's a, I mean, it's insane. It's insane. That it's is like we're totally
0: much You know, guys, I just want to add, I'm going to play a little uh, video. I'm sure everyone's going to, uh, going to know what this is from. And uh, we can comment oh, on it.
4: Yeah. Last, well, last night may very well have been a payoff for getting into such trouble with the feds. As the reputed head of the Crime Commission and the godfather of the Gambino family, his appearance in court every day and the preoccupation with his defense were bad for business. Experts say his associates may very well have decided Big Paul was more trouble than he was worth.
5: We're working on the theory that there was internal strife within the family and this may be a matter that is resolved just within that one family. We're, we're working on the theory that possibly he was considered a liability in as much as the pressure of all the cases that are being brought against him and the other families uh, made him a liability and not effective as a leader.
4: The violent death of Paul Castellano brings back to vivid life, an old tradition in the history of this country, gangland executions. Shakespeare said of kings, uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. Well,
2: ask you you know, look it, of
4: rise to the top of organized crime they get there by violence and often as not they leave by violence 1957 albert anastasia the head of murder incorporated murdered while he was having a haircut on west 59th street 1971 joseph colombo head of the colombo family shot in columbus circle seven years in a coma and then he died in 1978. 1972 joey gallo killed in little italy during dinner at umberto's clam house 1979, Carmine Galante, boss of the Bonanno family, killed at a restaurant in Brooklyn. (laughs) Yesterday, Paul Castellano, the head of the Gambino family, the largest of them all in this country, murdered outside a restaurant on East 46th Street. In the world of organized crime, the tradition is that murders do not go unavenged. Still, traditions have a way of changing, even in the Mafia.
5: Recent indictments and prosecutions of the mob leaders is causing an upheaval in the underworld. Yet efforts by the prosecutors to put the crime campaigns in jail are still subject to organized crimes way of doing things, their own kind of
3: law, public murder. The ability of the mob to uh, kill people in cold blood and get away with it gives them the ability to terrorize other people.
5: They terrorize by killing their own in public. Deadly messages from organized crime to organized crime and the rest of society. The murder of Gambino crime family boss Paul Castellano yesterday, or the 1979 assassination of Cosa don Carmine Galenti. Unsolved very public executions by an underworld that plays by their own rules and their own code of justice. The Castellano murder particularly brazen and defiant since Castellano was gunned down a day before, he was to resume standing trial for auto theft and murder organized crime had served up its own sentence john martin does law enforcement bring these organized crime kingpins to justice or is it organized crime taking care of its own
3: in their own way well generally i think we bring them to justice first uh, there have been a number of very successful organized crime prosecutions over the years the rare event is an event like the death of mr castellano where somebody who's in the process is killed. It has happened before. By and large, the system uh, brings them to justice uh, before there is retaliation.
5: In the wake of the Castellano murder, U.S. Attorney Rudolf Giuliani says he's going ahead with the trials of four other mafia chieftains in order to keep the pressure on the mob.
3: We're fighting a war against a group that does not have unlimited uh, res- reserves. And that's the best kind of war to be fighting. That's why I think there's a real prospect that, uh, that, that at least the Mafia as an organization can be diminished or wiped out.
5: Well, according to Giuliani, it has come down to a war of attrition with the Mafia. The more Dons prosecuted by law enforcement and put behind bars will make it harder for the Mafia to renew itself and recruit soldiers to do the dirty work. Well, at
2: least we hope so. You know it's funny, Joe. When I worked was a kid, I worked for the Daily News. My whole family worked there. And uh back then it was, you know, the news, the post, the times, you know, the mob controlled it. And uh, I I used to drive Pete Galante, Carmine's brother, was an old man at the time. So he would just come in, he'd play little cards, and I had a route that would pass his house. He lived on 73rd Street between 13th to 14th Avenue, and they'd say, Tommy, drive Petey home. And I would just drive him home on the way to my route every night. So he'd play cards, have <laughs> a cup of coffee, and I would drop him off.
0: <coughs> That's okay. unbelievable.
2: I don't know well, if guys – did you ever okay. see the – Joe, there's a tape that I remember seeing. Um, I know I saw the tape of Baldo Amato and Cesar Bonaventure after the, the Galante murder. Getting out of a car and being hugged by, um, by uh, co- uh what the della Delacroix.
3: Bill Delacroix
2: in front of the Ravenite. Ravenite, yeah. It showed that it was a sanctioned murder because he yeah. was the boss of the Gambino family, and they were Bonanno guys, you know.
3: Yeah, and he had a. Uh, they had a lookout across the street, and you know. They 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 just uh, was a permanent uh, permanent lookout, and they had no idea that the hit had taken place, you know, and it, they were just lucky enough that they they were there that day and filming that day, uh, but when they saw you know when they saw that they knew something was up, and Caesar didn't end up too good, and Jim Walden who I used to work with, he was attorney's office,
2: put away Baldo. I think he's still in.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, Caesar and Baldo were were, uh, were, were buddies. I mean, you know, they, they were Galenti's guys, you know, and then they, they got promised, uh, well, Caesar got promised the captain, the captainship, uh, if he went against them and he did. And it's funny because when, when Tony mirror <clears throat> brought the beefs against me, uh, uh, Caesar was one of the witnesses for him. Uh, that I had stole two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars from the family in the drug deal, and uh, at, at the sit down, Caesar was one of the witnesses for, for Tony Mira. That, that, was that he, he yeah, that he knew it. Yeah, so was I it had no, was no, no love loss? I'm sorry. Joe
2: was it Joe Monk from the Post who killed uh, Tony Mira in the garage?
3: He was his nephew, Joey Muke. Yeah, yeah, uh, I knew. Was, I knew. Was, for was, the of business. <clears throat> that was his own nephew. Yeah, guys,
0: we're gonna go. We're gonna go to a quick break. So if you have to get up and take a personal, uh, this is the time to do it, folks. If you're not uh, subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go to our YouTube, hit subscribe, um, hit the button, give us a thumbs up. Uh, this is Police Off the Cuff After Hours, real crime stories with Tommy Dades, and is it uh, Joe Pistone or is it uh, Donnie Brasco? I'm not sure who we got here. Anyway, Philly, we're going to go to a quick commercial right now, and uh, Philly, you could uh, do the first one.
1: Are you tired of the same old surroundings? Are you looking to relocate? Or are you just in need of a real estate agent in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina? Well, Carol Waters is your girl. Her and her husband, Rob Mahan, who is a retired member of the NYPD and the New York Fire Department, are both million-dollar sales agents. Carol and her husband, Rob, can be reached at 914 261 6681. That's 914-261-6681. Or you could email Carol at MB at gmail.com. That's MB at gmail.com. One of our clients says she always goes the extra mile. Joe Murray, frequent guest on Police Off the Cuff, fantastic uh, trial attorney, as well as a uh, retired NYPD police officer. If you ever find yourself in a jam and you need of legal counsel in the New York area, do you need a victim's advocate? Joe Murray's the man. He's not only experienced trial attorney, he's also retired from the NYPD. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. 646-838-1702. Email Joe at joe at jmurray Dashlaw.com. He knows both sides of the fence.
0: Folks, Police Coffee is an officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends. And it's made to provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant. And their specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Their coffee is some of the best you'll find, but also helps serve an important cause. Giving back to our community. 50% of the profits goes towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order coffee and related products from policecoffee.com, go to the website. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from. 50% of the profits go to officers families in need. For a 10% discount, use code OTC10. That's off the cuff 10. That's policecoffee.com. We have a we have a new ad tonight. This is from a it's a it's a Pump 5 If you're looking for supplements, be sure to check out the products from first nutrition.com. As first responders, there are certain expectations in the performance on the job. We train hard and drill often to be able to perform at our best when duty calls. Whether it's hoofing over 100 pounds of gear or engaging in a spontaneous foot chase, we work out like our life depends on it because it does. Two New York City firemen created this supplement line with hand-picked products that will not pop positive on any drug test for first responders. Solid pre workout products that will give you a good pump and a short term strength boost that can help you power through your workout. Supplements to help with fat burning and weight loss and post workout <coughs> formulas that support recovery. Go to firstdo nutrition.com. Use code off the cuff to get ten percent off your order. We're back, guys. Sorry, but uh, <laughs>
2: I want to get back into it with Joe and it'll fit right in. He gave, uh, he gave the Cops Off the Cuff a shout out a couple of times and let it, let them know that me and Joe are going to be on the show. And that's that's Jimmy Calandria, the Bath Avenue story. I'm going to be with him on Sunday on his show at 4pm talking about the book Mob Over Miami and that's all about the Bonanno crime family. Right. Um, and Jimmy was a uh, instrumental, and I arrested Jimmy. I was one of the guys that arrested Jimmy, um, and we, we've had a good relationship since the day he got uh, arrested, and he was instrumental in helping put a lot of people away, including Joe Anthony Spiro. So, Sunday at uh, 4 p.m., James Calandria, uh, Bath Avenue story.
0: You know, Tommy, that's a sign of a great cop that can lock someone up, and a guy can thank you. You know, I don't know how you did that, but... Uh... You,
2: know, you know what, uh... <laughs> Joe, it's crazy. You know, uh, I uh, like J- Jimmy and me. Go, you know, from the day you know that he was uh, on board. He, uh, he, he, I think that case alone was seven homicides. And Anthony Spiro, Jim Walden was uh, the deputy chief of the U.S. Attorney's Office, um, and Anthony Spiro was the top defendant on the indictment and at the Eastern District and. We indicted him and convicted him against Jerry Shargell on three murders that he ordered. And Jim had to just prove, and he did a great job at it, there were no first-party statements or anything like that. We had to prove who Anthony Spiro was, convince the jury that he was the acting boss of the Bonanno family at the time of those murders. And, you know, that's the way it works. And uh, he did order those murders. And... He got convicted on all three, and he, he died of prison. But Jimmy, uh, Jimmy changed his life around, and I, that's what it's all about, is redemption. And I I, 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 I moved out of, out of New York, so I walk into a – I, <laughs> I go to get my 9-11 medication all the time. I'm on all these medications, right? So there's this one pork store that I go to, and then I just got a little is, – is, is
0: it Satriel's?
2: No, it's not. A so little bored going there. And I happen to peek in and I look at you know another type of arrest. restaurant. So I don't even say what kind, and uh, it looks good. So as I see there's like a bunch of guys to my left sitting at the table, and I could just feel it. It's like the hair on my neck stands up, but I don't look or nothing. I walk in, I come out, and I'm just standing there waiting to finish eating what I'm eating to get back in my car and leave. And somebody yells out, Tommy Dates. And I look. And the particular guy that looked at called me. Uh, we had locked up, and he got 13 years. And uh, there was a bunch of guys at that table, knew them all. And they told me, pull up a chair. Tommy saved my life. Tommy, a great guy. You always were respectful in the street please come here anytime you want. You know, how's your partner, Michaeletta? How's Jim Walden, the prosecutor? How's the judge? I mean, I couldn't believe the way they were treating me, you know, and I told them, I saw them today. I went to the drugstore. I went in there for something to eat. And I says, I won't mention no names. I won't mention the name of the restaurant, but I'll let you say thank you for treating me with all the respect.
1: <laughs> you, you said something there, Tommy, that I think is so your character. You didn't say I locked him up. You said we locked him up. You were always a team player. You, you never wanted to take credit. You're you, 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 as crazy as you are, and you're all a little crazy. You're modest. <laughs> you're modest about it. And I like that goes a long way with me. You never said I, I,
2: I. You said you know we what? locked him up. It was, you know what, Joe? I'll tell you something. Maddie and Frankie were the first two agents I ever dealt with. And I know them now in excess of 32 years. And we're still in touch. They were at my new home having coffee and cake with me. And we still, all three of us still keep in touch with Sammy. And uh, I I was a rookie detective. And they pretty much, when they were working, you know, it's, they had an office out of Staten Island. So yeah, yeah. They to sign in out of the office and I didn't ask no questions you know what I mean I knew if they wanted to tell me something you know it was okay for them to tell me but I didn't want to ask nothing and uh they took me under their wing I can't even explain to you like the way they schooled me the things they taught me that stuck with me from my for my whole career and I was one of the first state guys to ever sit down and talk to Sam even though I know Sammy from tally's bar since I'm a kid but the first time I got, and I dealt with them in investigations on a homicide. But uh, they brought me down there in Eastern District for three hours in you know, uh, MCC rather, un- underneath the, in Woodsec, and uh, I got to see him. And I always asked them, I said, "Why did you like? Because you didn't work with anybody. Like you were partners twenty-two years. I mean, they had Bruce Mao and George Gabriel, but they were always together. They had their own style. They were yep. both twins." Frankie DeChico loved them. Jimmy Brown Faella loved them. They'd sit and have coffee and Biscotti with them, you know. <laughs> and uh, three
0: coffee beans in the today, uh, three, three coffee beans, beans. in that sabuka. Uh,
2: <laughs> I always ask them, "Why the hell did you guys take a liking to me? Like I was a rookie, wet behind the ears detective." And uh, from that point on, you know, with the I've worked with some great FBI agents. I worked with some great DEA agents. Uh, one particular. Uh, federal probation agent Bob Anton for 30 something years I mean a lot of there's a lot of animosity the Yankees and the Mets and whatever the best thing that I ever did was get involved and get deputized and learn the federal system as well as the state system and make friends and I still speak to every one of those guys to this day and they became my dearest friends and Maddie and Frankie I adore the ground they walk on. Right. Yeah, somebody walked in; they light up a room and they smile. Yeah. But
1: what did they tell you? What, the reason they took you under their wing? What was their response when it's, you asked them?
2: Just loved you at first sight. Because he, he
1: no, because he made good gravy. are <laughs> 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 you
3: know, right. Those two guys were, were were inseparable partners, and uh I mean, they were he- hell of agents. I mean, they they, they were working performing agents and uh you're right i I, you know it doesn't surprise me tommy uh what what you just said because i you know i've known those guys for a long time and uh i you know i know what's in their hearts and 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 how they operated
2: maddie told me to tell you it just thought it is. he told me to tell you he still has the banana from your retirement party. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whatever yeah. that means,
3: guys. I just want well, to thank Judy uh, Ron.
0: Was- Go ahead. I'm sorry, Joe.
3: After the uh, after the first case, when uh, when you know uh, when when the convictions came back and everything. Uh, and I guess the next day or a couple of days later, we, we, we had a, uh, a dinner of everybody that was, you know, involved in the case and, uh, uh, they bought plastic bananas and everybody got a plastic banana, you know, the banano family. Bananas. Yeah,
2: uh, Brasco, he says, it's still, it's fading a little, you got to renew still, Yeah. Look at that.
0: <laughs> I just want to thank a couple Duty Ron thank you for the ten dollars super chat uh Steve Colon. thank you so much for the 999 super chat I wanted to make a little announcement and I'm gonna let uh, Philly do it and he could just uh put the picture on the
1: uh yeah there, so. we've been uh, we've been talking to uh, somebody that person on the screen to possibly come on and do our show and uh, we got a commitment back from him. And uh, we don't have an exact date yet, but we'll be interviewing uh, Sammy Gravano uh, very soon, sometime in the next few weeks, hopefully. And uh, just to get a perspective, obviously, we don't support any of his criminal activity, but we want to bring him on to just get an idea of uh, the things that went on in his life with regard to law enforcement and uh, just to give a different perspective of, uh, you know, the life, uh, organized crime uh, Causan Ostras, he always uses. And uh it should be a very interesting show. Um uh hopefully we'll be getting uh Jimmy Calandry on to give his viewpoint too. And uh this is the uh this is the future that we hope hoping uh comes together.
0: You know, Joe, it's funny because uh when you when you do these podcasts, and I know you've been on hundreds of podcasts, but people will like try to like moralize. Like, why are you having killers on? And I said, Well, you know. I was a sergeant in homicide. That's what I used to do for a living, you know, and now I'm not allowed to talk to them because it's,
3: <laughs> you know, they're, they're,
0: they're telling stories to, you know, to the public, you know, but people get really crazy about that stuff. You know what you know? it is,
2: first of all, for the, the first and foremost thing when people say that, my answer is, you know, the United States Justice Department, you know, is the one that granted them the cooperation deal. Two, We would be, I mean, Joe is, that's why Joe is Joe, because if all of us could do what he did, we wouldn't need guys to cooperate. But Joe would know better than anybody in this situation, unless you have somebody telling you, you can do your surveillances and your wiretaps and everything else. There's always pieces missing. Like, I'll give Sammy a a sentence, and Sammy would turn that sentence into two pages of details that, I didn't know about, and there's no way I'd be privy to what he has to offer. So, if you look at Sammy, Sammy, um, I mean, Sammy was loved by the agent, Manny and Frankie, and Sammy, Laura Ward, uh, Judge, uh, judge uh, Leo Glass, the judge. There was a very good relationship between all of them. Sammy um, had 38 guys he put away, and the information and the intel that he opened up relative to organized crime, you know, if you look at how many guys cooperated prior to 1990, and how many guys cooperated after 1990, Sammy opened up the floodgates. And without having sources, you know, you you're really not going to make the kind of cases that you have. And Sammy's a he's he's a wealth of information. And you know what? Whatever he, the life that he believed in, it's, you know, some people may curse me on this podcast, but that's the life he chose. He really believed in it just like we all believed in what we did for a living. And that's the way he lived his life. You know what I mean? And in the street, you know, in that life, it's kill or be killed. If you're told to kill, you got no choice. You get killed. And a lot of guys, you know, don't realize, you know, you, you, uh, you know, especially the old-timers, you know, they you put them in jail, it's better than the way they were living on the outside, you know. Listen, people could say whatever they want about Gotti, and Gotti played chess with Sammy, and Sammy checkmated him. But the one thing, he wasn't smart. He was stupid in a lot of ways, and he was arrogant in a lot of ways. The one thing I'll give him and, and I'll show respect for him is that for 10 years, you know, he went through – a hell of a time, and he just would never tap out, like in a cage fight. So the balls that he had, I'll give him that credit. Not that Sammy don't have equal amount of balls. He fucked Sammy, and Sammy just caught his, you know, what he was going to do to him. And like I said, they played chess. Sammy checkmated him. But Gotti did have to go and kill Paul Castellano, you know, and then go home and get a good night's sleep you got to have something between
3: your legs you know let's it. Yeah, well, you, know, you talk about over 20 years ago i i uh, met michael Frances. you guys know who that is right and and uh uh we were on a on a on a panel together with uh, for uh, the uh, major league baseball and, you know, 20-some years later, I'm still friends with him. Uh, you know, he, he turned it around. Uh, he did his time. But, Joe, isn't that what it's
2: all about? You know what I'm yeah. saying? I'm it, it around.
3: You know, uh, <clears throat> you know, we still stay in touch. I I, I got him to do a few uh uh police conferences he came you know and spoke at uh out in California so like you say as long as you know as long as they did their time and uh they turned it around that's that, that you know that's I think it. the
1: key too is that they don't fall back into the criminal you know the underworld again if they if they can you know, uh, do something positive in their lives and not get involved in criminal activity, then there's something to be said about it. And I, I watched a podcast with Francis and you, Joe, and I, I was, uh, you know, I was really uh, taken back by the relationship. And then I saw that the relationship, like, uh, Tommy met those guys and, and, you know, they were okay with him and, and, you know, he could be friendly with them and sit down and have a cup of coffee or something to eat. And, uh, I really, you know, there, there's something to that, you know, it's, uh, yeah. It's amazing you that know. you can, you can have that relationship, you know, and the respect is a respect too. Yeah.
3: You, you know, know, Joe, you-
0: I, Joe, I think you said it on the last show because a lot of people they're amazed at what you did and how you dealt with it from a psychological perspective that you never wavered from you or Joe Pistone, AKA Donnie Brasco, FBI agent. And you never lost sight of that. And when the case went down, even though you were very tight and friends with these guys that some who got whacked because they vouched for you, yeah,
3: because of their and relationship, s- yeah,
0: right, and some you put in prison, and you didn't uh, like just as you said, Sammy the Bull uh, didn't lose a night's sleep after Paul Castellano was whacked. You also didn't lose any sleep over putting people away for in this case.
3: No, and you know, and and because look. Everybody has a choice, and they made the choice. They made the choice to be wise guys. They made the choice to be gangsters. They were gangsters before I got there. You know, I never turned anybody or prodded anybody to be what what they were. Right. Uh, and they they knew the life they were in. Uh, and, and and you talk about respect, Tommy. You know, guy. When, when when you're with these guys every day, you see the good and the bad. You know, I Absolutely. mean they're all killers. Yeah. Who knows, You know, who knows how many whack how many hits Sonny Black had? I mean, but when he and I were together, I mean, I used to stay at his apartment upstairs from the motion lounge. He was a was the guy. Pardon? He was a likable guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, it's crazy because <clears throat> If I didn't feel like going back uptown up to my apartment uh, or, you know, uh, I'd sleep on his couch. Now, at, at, at this point in time, he's a pretty powerful captain in the family, right? <clears throat> so I'd sleep on his couch. And in the morning, you know, he'd get up. He'd, he'd, he'd go across the street get to you. the bakery and get us. <laughs> Get us coffee, two coffees, and, and a hard roll with butter. And a roll. There's a guy that's that's running the family because he's one of the street bosses. And then we'd go up on, a, on his roof because he raised racing pigeons, and we just you know, he he he'd educate me on racing pigeons.
1: I gotta say something about the mutual respect that I saw over the years. Uh, related to Tommy and all a lot of different wise guys. Now I have family in Brooklyn still, so I'm Mm -hmm. in Brooklyn from time to time. And, you know, I would run into guys that Tommy arrested and they'd be like, yeah, he was a good guy. I had no no hard feelings with him. I'm talking about real wise guys. There's a mutual respect. Same thing with Sammy. Guys would talk about Sammy and say, you know, even though he did what he did, he wasn't a bad guy. He, you know, uh, John put him in that position that he, he wound up doing what he did. So, and, and, I just, you know, when Tommy would sit down with Billy Cthulhu, who we had in the precinct many times, locked him up, and, and before he was killed, there was almost like a father-son relationship between you and him, Tom. No,
2: am I wrong? There was a chemistry and a mutual respect, and I treated him like a gentleman. He knew the game, and he knew I was only doing my job. He never did nothing to me, you know what I'm saying? So I, it wasn't like I, I would he, – he was a diabetic. I would give him his insulin, I would voucher, his, give his jewelry to his wife. I wouldn't voucher it. I'd let him order whatever lunch he want. He liked to smoke a cigar. You know what, there's, that's something Manny and Frankie from day one always told me. You know, be nice, show respect. You know, they would go to uh, Frankie DeChico if they needed to subpoena somebody for whatever. They just had to go to Frankie DeChico's club and say, Frankie, you know, we need to see Joe Blow. And Frankie would be like, no problem, we'll be here tomorrow. And he was there tomorrow. They go see Jimmy Brown Faella, who would chase everybody else away who try to talk to him. And he'd have his wife bring them over black coffee in the morning. They talk. They're not doing anything wrong. It's just yeah. building up a rapport. Sammy once said that he told his guys, I don't want you talking to Jacargo or Spiro. And the reason why he really said that was because Maddie and Frankie were so genuinely likable and polite that he was afraid. They may start to like them and they, you know, end up working for them. So Sammy was pretty sharp. He saw what, you know, they were about and he forbid his guys from saying a word to either one of them. So, you know what? It's and that's not the only reason you're being nice, you know, um, being Respectful to somebody who's respectful to you, even though you're locking them up, it's bad enough. You, you may be putting them away for 10, 20, 30 years. He didn't do nothing to me. I'm doing my job, you know. So if he wants to be nice to me, you can only get something out of it and not get something out of it. Guys that I'm retired and guys that were in the life that aren't anymore, that I do have a relationship with today, like Joe said with, with, with Sunny French, with Michael Francesi. You know, they're likable guys and there's attributes about them that, you know, we have in common, even politics, sports, me and Sammy, boxing and politics. We don't talk about gangster stuff. You know what I mean? It's, it's past already. So our relationship is just genuine. He makes fun of me. I make fun of him. <laughs> It's, you know, he's my friend. I consider growing, my-
1: growing up around it, Tom, I can remember as a kid, old-time wise guys, and they would call them the bulls. The cops would drive by and somebody would say something because I worked like in a the salemarie. It was a lot of wise guys around. And uh, old-time wise guys said, leave them alone. They're doing their job. You know, you do your job, let them do their job. And that was really like the mutual respect that they had. They didn't, you know, they knew it was part of they chose the life. And there's yeah. law enforcement that kept guys in line in the life and had to put guys away. And and I I even worked with a, a guy from uh, public morals that you know go around raid social clubs. A sergeant, and he said that you know we would go in there you know bust up the tables and stuff and. You know, we would tell the guy in charge, pick five guys to come with us. They had to make five collars that night. So if there were 15 guys in the club, he uh, you went last time, come this time. And they, they had this mutual respect. And then they, they would take some of the money that was on the tables and buy food. And, you know, uh, it was just uh, – I don't know if it's like that today anymore, but there was just yes, a mutual
2: those, respect. Those kind of arrests, are, uh, you know, there's different reasons you make those kind of – you know, we, we had uh, when Ralph Gould was killed, the cop. We were doing one search warrant after another, locking up 30, 25 guys, vouching 50, 60, 70,000 card games. Normally, do I really give a shit about the card games, be honest? No. Back, they killed a cop, so we were trying to hit everybody in the pocket and just retaliate for what they did. But, you know, those kind of crimes, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I really had no, the bookmaking and stuff like that, I really had no interest in any of that stuff. If you weren't killing people or dealing, you know, 20 kilos of something or hurting a, you know, an innocent guy, then then I really, I really, my heart wasn't really into it unless it, there was a reason, there was a reason
3: for us to do it, you know? Well, I know there were guys, you know, around that, you know, they were petty thieves, maybe, you know, for the lack of a better term, but, uh you know, they had families and, and stuff. Uh, and I I'd never wrote up anything. I, you know, I knew they were, you know, they were boosting, you know, boosting this, boosting that, but they weren't hurting anybody, you know. Uh, they weren't going out on, on right. big-time scores. Uh, and, I mean, I never I, I never put anything on paper about those guys because, you know, sure, they, they didn't work. They were petty thieves, but I knew that they weren't they weren't out robbing guys with uh, with pistolas. Uh, You know, they were just boosting maybe some stuff from the airport, you know, just to make a little dough here and there. Uh, And I I don't know if, you know, if I mentioned this last time we were on, guys, but. uh, uh, You know, you you talk uh, I, I had a good relationship with Sonny. I had a good relationship with Lefty, too, although, you know, he was a big pain in the arse. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> uh, I mean, one time Sonny Black, you know, he and I are, are having dinner, you know, and and uh, he, he said, you know, he, he tells me about the life, and, you know, uh, and he said, uh, you know, I, I, I'd like you to... T- to make me a promise that uh, you know if i get clipped you know uh or 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 go to jail you know you'll look out for my family and stuff i mean that's how that's the kind of relationship we had so and and, and you talk about a guy being a gangster gangster and um he knew he was going to get clipped he knew it you know he got the call to go to a sit down and uh he goes in he goes in the motion lounge Gives his money, his diamond ring, it, it, his keys, except the keys to his car, and uh, <clears throat> tells the bartender, You know, uh, I just got called to a sit down and I'm probably not coming back. Calls his, calls his uh, lady friend and tells her the same thing. I mean, that's a gangster. I said, yeah. you would say that's La Cosa Nostra. That's La Cosa Nostra. Yeah, yes, well, exactly. I, that's, well, a, that's what that's, they always said. They never said mafia they always they always said La Cosa Nostra. but then you know he tells his uh he, he tells his lady friend some other stuff so after everything goes down we have trials uh <clears throat> they find Sonny's body uh New York FBI gets a call and this lady says you know I, I'd like to talk to Donnie Brasco uh what about? Well, it's personal. All right. So they get all the information and, uh, they call me and they say, Hey, do you notice, know you know, I said, yeah, I, I, I know who she is, you know? And, uh, well, she wants to talk to you. Well, let's, you know, so they, 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 they pick her up, they bring her to Washington and we go out and, and, uh, she says, I, you know, uh, I just want to relay this to you. And she tells me that story about Sonny. And, uh, <clears throat> she says to him that, uh, or he says to her, you know, if, uh, if anything ever happens to me, I want you to get in touch with, with Donnie and, uh, and tell him that, uh, I don't hold anything against him. I love the guy. Wow. Uh, he never did anything to make us do, he, he he never did anything to make us do something that we wouldn't do. Uh he was you know, he was just better than we were. Uh, so
0: checkmate. You know,
3: yeah, yeah. That's pretty know? that's I mean, pretty
0: amazing, Joe. I, mean, well, I I mean Donnie.
2: <laughs> I heard that um when, when when they did kill him that he uh they actually didn't they, the first shot they hit him with, he went down the stairs, and he actually told them, yeah. "Make that shot count."
3: Yeah, hit me again and make it good. Yep. Yeah. What What yeah. balls that guy had, huh? Yeah. Yep.
2: I that's
0: that's lacosa nostra. Yeah. That's going. <laughs> yeah.
2: okay. I, I just, I, I,
0: I, I just <laughs> and, want to win the last few minutes. If we could just, and I know that there's not enough time for this, Tommy, but I wanted to see if you would touch upon this a little bit.
2: I'm getting bored
1: of them. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I, I got to say a few things about Tommy's career, his career. 84, police academy, 1986 narcotics division as an undercover and then an investigator. 89 goes into the detective bureau, starts investigating homicides. 97 to Intel where they reestablish the organized crime investigative unit. 98 he's on the boxing team doing all of this. 2001 9/11 obviously Ground Zero, terrorist attack. He responded down there, and then 2003 he starts along with other people, Joe Ponzi, Mike Vecchione from the DA's office. He starts the uh, mob cop investigation where those two scumbags sold their shields and started killing people. I mean, it had happened previously, but they uh, that's when he started investigating it. Anyway, 2004, Tommy retires from the NYPD, mm-hmm. goes to work. For the Brooklyn DA's office. He continues his career and he continues to investigate the mob cops. Uh, 2006, they're uh, convicted on uh, 79 RICO counts, right, Tom? 79. Uh, eight homicides they're convicted of. They're implicated in 14. So now, Tom, take over and uh, tell us what else I missed.
2: You got it all, Philly. <laughs> hey, hey, Tommy,
0: Just so you me. guys know, there's this is uh, Tommy Dade's book. It's called "Friends of the Family," uh, by Tommy Dades and Michael Vecchione, and it talks about the case against the Mafia cops Steve Caracapa and Louis Ippolito. Uh The NYPD really didn't do a good job of prosecuting you know,
2: them. A story where it shows that story right there is where interagency cooperation got that. Without it, it would have never happened. Frank Drew, Timmy Moran from the DEA, um, you know, there was some FBI agents involved, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Brooklyn DA's office. Um, they, it would inter- the interagency cooperation and openness with that was really what, in most of the cases that I worked on, without one or the other, you know, it wouldn't have happened. So To all the guys that I worked with, they know what I'm talking about from the federal side. You know, thank you for the opportunities that you gave me. And and, uh, we had a great time and we knocked the hell out of all of them.
0: You know, Tommy, I just wanted to make a comment about that in regards to the NYPD not doing a good job on investigating their own. Two of the biggest corruption cases were the mafia cops, obviously, and Michael Dowd. And other agencies locked these guys up because... The NYPD Internal well, Affairs.
2: You had, Joe, you had Joe Hall in a seven five, and uh, in, in the seven five case, who was a detective and was on to him right away. And Joe's work, uh, the head of Special Narcotics, right now. I know him forever, and Joe was on to them. You know, they 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 had that that number. As far as
1: these yeah, but they didn't kill. So they, they, Michael Dowd case, Tommy. Nobody was murdered. I mean they were horrible criminals. They were they were they were thieves, they were drug dealers, but these guys were doing contract murders, uh, in Polito and Caracappa. Come on, that's hey, that's hard. Hey,
3: let me ask you a question. How did how did the mob recruit these guys?
2: What happened was um Nikki Santoro was uh Eppelito's, was uh was a cousin to uh Eppelito. and like- And meets him in prison. And around 1979, and before he, he takes care, care of Bert. Bert's around Christie Tick and then gets passed over to Queso. And you know uh, he tells he tells Santoro. He says, um, "I got a cousin that's a cop. When I we get out, anything you need, you let me know." And There was one murder that that, uh, Bert used the mob cops in that Queso didn't know about at the time. Uh, But when he went to Queso and wanted to offer their use to kill people, Queso was like, what do I need them for? If they turn it on their own, they're gonna turn on me. I don't trust them and I don't need them. But when they tried to kill Queso, he was so desperate for information that he gave it a shot with them and eventually used them constantly through Burt. And there was only one time that they ever saw each other. Vick Musso and Queso, when they dropped off Jimmy Hidal's body, was with Burt Taplin, and the mob cops pulled up. But that's the only time they actually saw each other. The intermediate was Burt always... As far as giving, passing along information, I think one time his partner, who did testify to Tommy Galpine, had one payoff for them for a homicide, information related to a homicide. But they compromised bugs, wires, informants. You, They even gave the address. They tried to kill Charlie Rose. Yeah. They wanted to kill him. And I love Charlie Rose. was a great guy.
1: Tell us who Charlie Rose was, Tommy. It he was the U.S.
2: Kearney, and they got the information from the mob cops and Lucchese guys, Quesos guys, Georges Zappold, I think it was, George Conti, uh, Joey Testa, they sat on the wrong Charlie Rose, the commentator, and they never shot him. But they would have given up my address. Your, if they knew where you were, Joe, they would have told them where you were. They didn't care. There was like no lines drawn with them whatsoever. So you're going to give up a federal prosecutor's Address to get killed, you know what I mean. So they sat on Sammy three times too, but they couldn't
3: get to Sam. You know, they, too many people were around them all the time. Were they were, were they doing other stuff before that? I mean, you know,
2: nobody. You know what? From 19, before 1979, we knew that Apolito's uncle and cousin Jimmy uh, were both made guys. Nino Gaggi and uh, Nino Gaggi and um, uh, Uh, Roy DeMayo killed the both of them on the Bell Parkway and uh, other than him having, and his father had he wasn't a made guy, but his father was affiliated with the Gambino crime family so he had family related to the Gambino crime family he always was acting like a gangster where Caracappa was the low-key guy We, we know that they met in the robbery squad in 1979 that's all we know how they met they didn't grow up together. Uh, we don't know of any OC ties that Kara Kappa had, and we, we the biggest question we always had was how do two guys that really don't know each other that well start talking about doing murders together? You know, I mean, a lot of them and passing off. You know, I found in the in, in the folders where Caracappa actually runs the wrong Nicky Guido's name. And two weeks later, the wrong Nikki Guido is dead. He uses his code. It's his name. Runs it. He gives it to Kaplan. Kaplan gives it to gas pipe. gas pipe gives it to his guys. And two weeks later, the wrong guy is 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 uh is killed. And these guys had no remorse. And if tell them how old the kid was
1: and what day he was killed, Tom. That's important.
2: He was killed this uh, Christmas Day uh, of nineteen. 19- Christmas Day, I think it was 1980, if I'm not mistaken, 1986 Christmas Day? Yes, 1986 Christmas Day. 18 uh, year old kid. He jumped in front of his uncle, he just got a new car, he was showing his uncle the car. Mm. He jumped in front of his uncle and Joey Tester was the shooter. And Joey Tester kills him. And the, the family even started to wonder, like, did he have anything to do with organized crime? But he had nothing to do. He was a totally innocent kid. So they did, they did a lot of damage. And Betty Heidel, I mean, she didn't trust the FBI. She didn't trust the NYPD. And she she's the one who called me and was screaming at me on the phone. And you you know, I need somebody to do something. And I I understood her frustration. I was very polite to her. But I'm like this case is cases over my head. You know what I mean? I said, I'll see. I'll try to see what I could do. And when I went to the U.S. attorney's office, I was shocked when they handed me the folders, you know, the boxes. And I rolled them on a hand truck into the Brooklyn DA's office. And then between the DEA and Vegas, and then we, they were time barred. But when we made the drug buy, it opened it up again and went back to the Eastern district. And, you know, they did a great job prosecuting them. 79, Predicate acts on a RICO, seventy nine convictions, and end the story. Good night, Charles. But, you
0: know, you know, Tommy. One one thing I think it's interesting to the folks listening is that why did the NYPD not want to go forward with this case?
2: I don't know whether they did or didn't want to go forward with it. I don't know if they knew about it. I I really I really don't know. You know, I wasn't. I didn't pay attention, you know, I heard rumors. I remember going to Dunkin' Donuts in the 6'8 squad, getting coffee, it was my turn to get coffee for everybody. And on the post, I see that picture you just showed up of both of them, when Queso gives the whole story on them. And I was like, no way is this shit true. So I don't pay, not that picture, the picture in the squad, that That picture, that's the front page of the post. And I didn't really pay much attention to it. You know, I had nothing to do with me. So when I got the case, um, I, I I don't know whether, the, I don't know what the NYPD, I had nothing to show whether they tried or didn't try. I didn't ask them. I didn't call internal affairs while I was doing the investigation. I left them out. They had nothing to do with it. I didn't inform them of anything. Um, they they were retired guys. Uh, I, I was very careful with, Vegas, because I was told to be a little leery of some of the Metro cops out there, because a couple of radio cars were seen by Epolito's house. Even when I did search warrants, when they killed um, Jimmy Heidel, I didn't call crime scene. I just, it was something that I just wanted to keep very, whoever needed to know knew, whoever didn't need to know, didn't need to know. So I called Bellevue's forensic recovery team. I didn't even use our own people. So I I kept it very much away from the NYPD. So I can't say they didn't have nothing to do with it. And by the time I investigated, it was so old. Whoever was running the police department at the time, it was just old news. And if, you know, nobody was getting access to Queso. But if you read his 302s relative to the police, it was on the money. And Kaplan corroborated. corroborated everything he ever said. you know. And I then, think
1: politics got involved, Tommy, because if you look at it from, let's say, the PC or somebody high up in the, in the NYPD, the, they, the they, feds they, looked at it said there was nothing there, and they didn't want the well, bad yeah,
2: I couldn't do anything with it because they ripped up uh, Queso's cooperation agreement, so there was nothing they could do with it. Um, so now you don't have Queso. They tried to flip Kaplan. He wouldn't flip. So you're really at a dead end uh if the feds can't do it with federal laws there's no way the state could have done it you know what i mean and by the time the state knew about it they were retired already because queso don't come in till 93. right so there's really not much the state kind of could have done at that point i just went and picked the stuff up because i felt bad for betty heidel and it's just the relationships I had. I was friends with the agent that locked up Kaplan and Galpine. Joe Ponzi, you know, his knowledge. Uh, Mike Vecchione, who was the chief of the Rackets Bureau. Then I had the Eastern District on my side. I had the New York and the Vegas office of the DEA on my side. Then they brought in FBI. So, I mean, they brought in the Calvary. Yo, Tommy, real saying.
1: quick, what did Betty Hydell tell you? Because that's important. Just get that little point down. That's important. You
2: know, how the fuck could you let this happen to my son and nobody's doing nothing about it? He was a bad guy, but he still was my son. Somebody better do something about the guys that killed him because people are saying that, you know, Joe, you know, this one killed him, that one killed him. I don't know where he's buried. And K- so purposely. Buried the body because Jimmy asked Queso to let them find the body because he had a hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy. So they purposely buried the body so it took Betty a long time to eventually collect that money. But Judge but didn't Dito, she
1: see didn't she see uh, Impolito on television?
2: Yes, but she didn't call me till years later. Okay. Had nothing to do. she knew, but she doesn't call me till years later for other reasons that she calls me. But Judge Deary awarded all the family members. The only people who didn't collect money was the Heidel family. Judge Deary awarded family members of the victims.
0: Wait, we, f- just, Tommy, just so you know, we froze up for a second, so they may have Judge missed Deary about a minute.
2: all the family members $5 million because there was something to do with a polito and passing along information, allegedly, to Rosario Gambino, and he beat it at the trial room. The FBI raided the place, found his fingerprints on it, and he beat it the trial room. And Judge Deary felt that had they fired him at that time, none of those murders would have taken place. And he awarded the family $5 million on a lawsuit. How, how long were they retired
3: before before you, they got
2: arrested? Um, they One retired in 90, one retired in 91, and they got arrested. The investigation started in 03. I think we locked them up sometime at the end of 04 and they were convicted in 06.
0: You know, guys, I you know we're at we're at an hour and twenty minutes right now, and I know uh Joe Joe Pistone has a certain bedtime. So uh, quick
1: question for Joe I Pistone. Wanna... I watched your podcast with Franzis <laughs> and you talked about Creasy's restaurant. Where was that? In in Manhattan? No. That no,
3: sounds familiar in Joe? That... Yeah, it was in uh uh Couple couple blocks away from uh, from the Motion Lounge on on uh, God I can't think of the street. Motion Lounge First, was on Gra- Graham and Withers. Okay, uh, so it was, it was down that area.
1: Over. Okay, because I'm I'm a rush, I I like restaurants and I just never that heard is, of it.
3: It's, it's not there anymore.
1: Okay, you know all the, all of this stuff
0: is so fascinating, and I mean an hour and twenty minutes went by like it like it was nothing. But I I mean I don't want I don't want to go any further. Really, we'll have to. Meet again get it some other time. But, Joe, as, as usual, <laughs>
3: we'll, Joe. We'll, have, we'll have to get together with Maddie and, uh
2: Definitely, Joe. You just name it and I'll arrange it 100%. It was great yeah. seeing you, and I'm glad you're doing well. You look great. You know, yeah, Joe,
0: I, I had talked to your friend Bob Stockman, and I said, you know, I want to come visit you guys and take you out to dinner, but I don't want him putting a hood over my head, turning me around three or four times, and then throwing me in the back of a car because I'm not allowed to know where you are.
3: Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> let me see. We'll get it
1: together. We'll get it together.
0: Starkman,
3: let me. Starkman's about 1,800 miles away from where we are right now. So. <laughs> All right. I won't. I will. Okay. Yeah. We
0: won't tell where Starkman is then because someone will yeah. figure it out. You know?
3: Yeah. We'll have to get them get together, Tommy, and have lunch with That'd be great. Maddie and Frankie watch it. They would love that. They would
2: love it. Yeah. They look so good. They walk in. I go, you guys don't age. (laughs) God bless. The last
3: time I saw him was maybe a couple years ago, and you're right, Maddie. He 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 looks like he looked, you know, back in the the late '70s, you know, (laughs) early '80s. And
2: Frankie used to wear. Frankie's an ex marine. I used to be able to comb my hair in his shoes every time you saw him. You know, yeah, (laughs) two great guys. Yeah. Super guy.
0: Yeah. You know, Joe, everyone wants to know, how many pairs of sunglasses do you own? <laughs> I got a
3: lot. I got a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you should get an endorsement from some of these sunglass companies, yeah, you know?
3: sure, right? Yeah.
0: Uh, Joe uh, Murray, the, the great attorney, thank you for the 1999 Super Chat. He says, please do another show on this. It's, it's so fascinating.
1: It, it really well,
0: is. We got the Encyclopedia of Organized Crime, Tommy Dades, and then we got the Babe Ruth of Undercover. Joe, Pist- I mean, Donnie, Br- I mean, Joe, P- I mean, Brat, I mean, Joe Stone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, See, Joe, go- you even got me confused. <laughs> Leading up to this show, we said we were going to have two superstars, stu- superstars. On. Let me spit that out. We were going to have two superstars of law enforcement. You look at their resume, you look at their history, what they've done. We only scratched the surface and. I think that we met that high bar that these guys were, and I tip my hat to both of them uh, being in law enforcement and just being uh, on the podcast with you guys was a tremendous pleasure. And uh, thank you very much.
2: Yeah, Joe, I hope,
0: I hope that that three times isn't a charm and that we can have you on again. You know, I'll have to have the the encyclopedia, the encyclopedia of OC Tommy Dades. will have to come back on again though. You know, anytime. that's great. So folks, I'm Bill Cannon, and with Phil Grimaldi, Tommy Dades, and Joe Pistone, this has been Police Off the Cuff After Hours, Real Crime Stories. What's that, Tom?
2: I was telling Joe. I'll talk to him soon. I'll be in touch. Okay, Okay, great. All right, good. Sounds good.
0: Folks, thank you so much for listening. Good night.
2: night. Stay safe,
3: everybody. God bless.